Well, good morning again. Welcome to you on Facebook or YouTube or you whatever. Welcome to you too. Glad you're here. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Disciples of Christ, beware of dead religion. Would you please stand as we read this? I want to remind you where we are. It's the last week of Jesus' life. It's Tuesday. He's accomplished many things. And now he's going to be talking to the multitudes and the disciples about the dead religion of the Pharisees. He's been confronted many times by this group. And now he's going to give a scathing, scolding seven woes. The seven woes will start next week. But this week he talks to the multitudes and to the disciples. Picking it up in verse 1, chapter 23, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you, to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, but all their works they do, they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts and best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God. Be Our Father, we thank you for this time, this precious time, this moment in time, when the body of Christ can come together and study the word of the living God. Lord, I ask that you would, as always, speak to our hearts things that you want us to hear and to know. I know that you are telling every person here something special for them in any talk that goes out. Your word does not return void. You will accomplish what you want to accomplish. It's up to us to receive it. And I pray that is done today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Please be seated. The theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And I've spoke to you earlier at the introduction is Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees now. And he's going to give a scathing denouncement of the Pharisees. They've had their last chance in our last chapter. Jesus told us in the last chapter how to be great in the kingdom. A scribe comes to him and says, how, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus says to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. He's actually going back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, the Shema, where it says, hear, Shema, O Israel. And then he says, the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is what the Jewish people are supposed to do. That was what Jesus tells us to do today. God first, people second. Love is the is the zenith of our lives, love. And then he gives these guys one last chance, these Pharisees, to repent. He, they have been on him from the beginning of his ministry. They have harassed him and harassed him and harassed him. They've tried to turn the crowds against him. And one last time, he's going to try to bring them into the fold. They will resist. And he asked a question from Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Jehovah says to Adonai, God to God. Jesus is God, okay? That's the important thing. Both titles for God. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool. 
And then the question goes, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? John MacArthur helps us with this. He makes this statement. David would not address a human descendant as Lord. He can only be the Son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one, the called out one, the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. That the nation of Israel was waiting for. And these guys missed it. And I'm wondering, why did they miss it? Because Jesus did not meet their prescribed view of who the Messiah would be. See, they wanted a conquering king. They wanted to be free from Rome. They wanted to enter into the kingdom, and they wanted to do it right now. And in the kingdom, they expected to have first place. Make no mistake, these are the hyper-religious, yet they reject the Messiah. So this week, disciples of Christ, beware of dead religion. Beware of dead religion. You know, these Pharisees, they're going to get their way. Three days from Tuesday, three days later in Jesus' life, he will be crucified. Their plot will take place. He will be crucified. And they think that it's their time. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nothing happens outside of God's will. It's God's time. It's God's way. It's God's purposes. It's for God's glory that the Son of God was sacrificed for the sins of the world. It was not the Pharisees that put Jesus to death. This was God's plan. They were just used in the plan. Always remember that. It's an act of love. God giving his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. They missed it. They missed it. Verses 1 through 3, the disciples of Christ. And we are disciples of Christ mostly in here. And hearing this, this teaching today, look at yourself as a disciple of Christ. That is a mathetes. That is a follower taking on the characteristics of the rabbi or the teacher. You're taking on the characteristics. You're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. You're willingly participating in the transformation process. You are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a follower of him. So verses 1 through 3, it's going to talk about dead religion seizes authority. They want to be in charge. They want all the glory. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes. Up to this point, the leaders were trying to get Jesus and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, power and authority. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that you observe and do. Because Moses gave them the law, and what he said was true. Whatever Moses says, do. But, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Big difference between what God says and what these people are imposing on the people. Imposing on the people. So think about this. For three and a half years, Jesus has been teaching the way of salvation. He's the Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's been constantly teaching and preaching that he is the sent one. And now he's going to be directing them in a different way. Jesus' last sermon, this will come up on the screen. Jesus, this is Jesus' last sermon. Last sermon in Matthew. And Jesus condemns the religious system and warns the people, vehemently warns them about the Pharisees. Loud and clear, Jesus is warning about this false religious system that tries to impose heavy burdens on the people unnecessarily, laying one thing on their backs after another, loading them down, not willing to lift a finger to help them. Think about 
false religions today. By the way, every world religion, every cult is a false religious system outside of Christianity. And there's billions of people caught up in this. This is not a popular message. This is something that much of Christendom, supposed Christendom today, even denies. Look, you can only be saved through Jesus. There's one way. Jesus said it very specifically. He doesn't stutter in John 14, 6. When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes unto the Father except by me, that's what Jesus means. And again, as we said many times, the door is open. It's wide open to anyone to come in, but it can only go through the narrow gate. It can only go through Jesus. That's the truth of the word. The setting is the Temple Mount. It's packed with people. Remember, it's Passover week. People have been trying to denounce Jesus, and now he's going to turn on the Pharisees, and he's going to denounce them. Jesus will turn his attention to the crowd and the disciples, and he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in the seat of Moses. Now, the word usage here can be read, they have seated themselves in Moses' seat, making themselves the last word. See, what they've done is they've taken the commands of God, and they've expanded them according to their own legalistic opinions, and constantly was weighing on people. Dead religion seeks authority. What Moses says to do, what Moses says to do, obey. Obey what Moses taught. What the Pharisees add, don't do. Now, I want you to think about something. We have all kinds of denominations in this country, and every one of them has their own little thing that they, that they use to separate themselves, and most of them add more. It's much more difficult to be a Baptist than it is to be a Christian. There's all kinds of things that are imposed upon you. Don't play cards, don't go to the movies, don't do this, don't do that. It's much more hard, more difficult to be any one of these denominations than to be a Christian. They impose things upon you. Oppose it. The Pharisee problem was this. They wanted to add to the law. The Pharisees also had a problem in that by adding to the law, they thought that they were making the people more righteous, that they were more righteous and the people would be more righteous if they just added more and more rigid stuff to them. Folks, salvation in the Old Testament, salvation in the New Testament are the same. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. They didn't know all about Jesus, but they were looking forward to someone that was coming forward. It was by faith. It was never by works. No one can be saved by their works. It's always by grace through faith in Christ alone. Now, I want to go through just a little short review here again on what the law is. The moral law we have today. The moral law, we are to obey the commands of God, not because they're going to make us righteous and holy, but because we're Christians. We obey what God teaches us. When you go into the millennial kingdom, there's going to be law and order there. And like I said last week, that's a good thing. Wasn't it terrible during the riots and, and, and the police were doing nothing? That was awful when we saw these people pounding on windows and breaking doors in and everybody standing there watching them because the prosecutors would do nothing. That lawlessness just permeated my being. I'm going, this is terrible. This is terrible. God is a God of law and order. The kingdom will be ruled by God's law and order. Everyone that goes into the kingdom, by the way, when you go to heaven, when you go into the kingdom of God, when you go into the millennial kingdom, you will obey the laws of God. You'll then be able to actually obey the laws. Remember, the law of the Lord is perfect. We're not. The Ten Commandments are perfect. We're not. All the Ten Commandments can do is condemn, 
They cannot save. If someone was to keep them perfectly, they could be saved. But they can't. We can't. We are tainted. We cannot. It's impossible for a human being to do it. Jesus was the only one that did this. Out of all the people that ever lived on the face of the earth, he's the only one. When we go to heaven, we'll be in the glorified state. Now, you know what that is because you've been taught this many times. It's a state of perfection. And I want to review with you the three phases of salvation. It's going to come up on the screen. There's going to be a slide here. You're very familiar with this. But we inculcate, teach by repetition. We go over and over these things so we never forget it. When you were saved, when you said, Jesus, I believe in you, I put my trust in you, you're immediately freed from the penalty of sin and you were justified. Christ's righteousness was imputed to you that very second that you said yes to Jesus. I believe that you're my Savior. After that, your rest of your life, you're in the present tense of salvation. That's sanctification. Sanctification just means set apart unto God, and you're in a process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's the rest of your life. You're never going to be perfect. Remember, it's direction, not perfection. We're in a direction towards growing and becoming more like Christ. And finally, glorification is, is the state of perfection. That is the future tense of our salvation. When we go to heaven, we'll be in the state of perfection, no longer temptable. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel really good about that phase because I'm in sanctification right now and I am still temptable. And so are you. So are you. So, dead religion says, do what I tell you to do. Put a lot of do's on you. Whatever they tell you to observe, that observe. The scripture is what he's talking about, what Moses taught in the scriptures. Do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Now, when I was growing up, a very common thing that parents would say to their children is, do as I say, not as I do. Now, that's the greatest form of hypocrisy, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you get the dad saying, don't smoke cigarettes, don't drink alcohol, don't do this, don't do that, and the guy's doing the same, all that stuff. Don't be mean to your wife, mean to your wife, you know, that whole thing. Your kids don't like that, you don't like that, and I'll tell you, God does not like hypocrisy. He does not like it. Disciples of Christ, think about this, a better you is emerging, a better you is emerging, a you that is looking a whole lot more like Jesus and less like you. Now, aren't you glad of that? A better you is emerging. Direction, not perfection. Remember, dead religion seizes authority that is not theirs. Our authority is the word of the living God. It isn't what someone tries to impose on it. If it is in this word, we come under that authority. If someone adds to it, we say, no, can't go down that road. Verse 4, disciples of Christ, dead religion places heavy loads on people. Verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. All they know how to do is just lay it on, lay it on, but never help lift it up. Remember what Jesus said? Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And watch this. My burden is light. 
Why? Because Jesus helps lift the burden. These guys just laid it on, and it just got heavier and heavier as they're walking. Dead religion goes beyond what God commands, adds to one's own preferences, pile it on harder and harder. All the adding, now watch this, all the adding is designed to make one righteous before God, and I can't tell you strongly enough, wrong, wrong, wrong. That is a wrong view. You are declared righteous the second that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Doing more does not make you more righteous. So legalism imposes a lot of don'ts. To meet the legalistic standard to be spiritual, one must adhere to their list of do's and don'ts. Every legalist has their own list. Now look, at you've been in Christendom long enough, and in some real stringent churches, you hear a lot of things that you don't hear in Scripture, like don't drink. Now, that's a real heavy controversial thing. The Scripture says don't be drunk, okay? But it doesn't condemn drinking, but drinking can become a big problem. It can become a big problem. It can take over your life. It can destroy your life. So be very careful if you choose to drink, hopefully, in moderation. Moderation. Don't play cards. Don't go to the movies. I've been in all these, these things. I mean, and it, this didn't exist in my time, but don't go to the casino. Now, I would recommend that you don't go to the casino. There's nothing in the Bible about don't go to the casino, but there's a lot of things in the Bible about the weaker brother seeing you at the casino. And I would ask you, I've been asked this question, what's so bad about the casino? And I answer it this way. What is the casino appealing to? Is it your spiritual nature or is it your fleshly nature? And folks, you will have to agree it is a flesh trap. It is a flesh hook and they're reeling people in and it's taking you away from God, not bringing you to God. And I would say it would be a good thing to avoid the casino. Okay, it would be a good thing to do that. Don't dance. Don't smoke cigarettes. Don't smoke cigars. Don't smoke weed. I could jump on that one. I would be kind of in agreement with that one. Uh, but what, what do the legalists leave out? You know, oftentimes they leave out, Jesus taught about gluttony. But Jesus taught about don't gossip. Jesus talked about getting the plank out of your own eye before you judge somebody else. You're bashing people with your own plank as you're making false judgments about other people. So you have to be careful. Be careful. What, does a, what, what makes a person spiritual? Just exactly what makes somebody spiritual in the eyes of God? And I would suggest this to you. It's submitting to the Holy Spirit. It should come up on the screen. Walking in the Spirit, dwelling in Christ. When I say the word dwell in Christ, you don't have to answer this question. Most of you know the answer to it. But you know the word is menno. And that means at home in Christ. And if I'm at home in Christ, guess what I have to do with Christ? I have to spend time with him. And how do I spend time with him? In his word. That's how you best spend time with Jesus. Now, you can spend time to him on the, while you're fishing or while you're hunting, and you can do some meditating and that sort of thing. But spend time with Jesus. I bet you, you cannot spend time with Jesus at the casino. I'll bet you cannot do that. I bet you have a real hard time at the bar. 
I bet you have a real hard time in some of these places. It's designed to take you away and to hurt your spirit. I'll bet that happens. Submitting to the Holy Spirit. You know, the don't do's in your life become, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to go down that road anymore. I want to please Jesus more than I want to please my flesh. That's what happens. I may have the freedom to do a lot of these things, but folks, it is not good for my spirit. It is awful for my testimony. I mean, there is such a thing as the weaker brother that we say, you know, I, I, I have the freedom to do this, and somebody else takes your moderation and brings it into an excess and then claims it's their moderation. And I can tell you another thing. A lot of these things aren't good for my health, and it's not enhancing my walk with my Lord. We are here in the sanctification process to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, and many of these things will not help you in that process. As a matter of fact, they'll take you away. We want wisdom. We want the wisdom of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you right now in your Bibles, so grab your Bible, open your Bible, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, and just let the pages just flitter so that we can hear the pages just flitter away. Now, this is, this, is, this is how you walk in this world, folks. You're living in a cesspool. You're living in a sin-filled cesspool that all of us are affected by. You're not insulated from this. Everyone is impacted by this world system that we're living in. Verse 15, this, this is Paul speaking. He says, see then, through the Spirit of God is speaking actually, see then that you walk circumspectly, that you walk carefully. Now, your walk is your way of life. That is what your walk is, your way of life. Not as fools, not as fools in this world, but as wise. And what's this? Redeeming the time. That's what I said to Gracie. Redeeming the time. Take advantage of your time. She made such good use of her time. High school, getting some college credits done. It's redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. It was evil then, and I could suggest to you today it's eviler now. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's more evil now, okay? Therefore, do not be unwise. Don't be stupid. Don't be ignorant, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he tells you to avoid the flesh traps. And here it's going to use alcohol as an example, but you can fill in the blank with all the stuff that hooks people. And then he gives a command. And then again, this is an imperative in the Greek. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. A big word simply means spends freely on your own lust and appetites. You're falling under the influence of influencers in this world. Don't give in to those lust, flesh, traps that are pulling you. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to dissipation, but there's a transition. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that word filled is palero. Palero in the Greek, and it means cram full with a, of the Holy Spirit. Now, the only way you can make it in this world today is not just have a little teeny bit of the Holy Spirit and a little teeny bit of Jesus 
and just a, just a, just in just in case religion type of thing. No, you need to be all out for God, filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to walk this thing out right. And we walk in the Spirit by through the overflow of the Spirit. Then I am successful in the overflow of the Spirit. Not this half full, quarter full, kind of half in, half out. You're going to be a miserable failure in this thing if you do that. We are victorious when we're walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And then what does that produce? Well, by goodness. By golly, we start to speak to one another. You know what that tells me? You stop texting one another. You actually speak to one another. You use your words to talk to somebody. In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, these are lifting up things. Singing and making, oh, listen to this, melody in your heart. That's what happens when the Spirit of God takes over. Melody in your heart to the Lord. And then giving thanks always for all things to God. Awful things happen in our lives. We have to realize that God is in the midst of all of this stuff. Somehow, some way, He is with us. His presence is taking us through this stuff. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then submitting to one another, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another. That's hupotasso. I put myself below other people. I elevate people better than myself. I am not a king over them. My job as a servant of Lord Jesus Christ is to serve them. It's mutual service. And can you see how it works? If we're serving one another, we're all benefiting from one another. It's a great way to live. It's a spirit-filled life. That's what he's talking about here. The spirit-filled life. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not want to live in a dead religious system placing heavy loads on me. I don't want to do that. You allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart about whatever thing has got you hooked. We're all hooked to something. We're humans. We have flesh appetites. We're all hooked. And you can overcome any hook by the power of the Holy Spirit. And never forget, ever, ever, ever forget in your whole life, greater is He who is in me than he that is in the world. You are an overcomer. You are a victor. You are not a victim. So start living out the truth of who you are in Christ. So, verse 5 through 7. Disciples of Christ. Dead religion, oh, isn't this true? Loves the praise of men. Oh, it loves to stand out and be noticed by men. Verse 5 through 7. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad, and I'll explain what that is in a second. And enlarge the borders of their garments. They're, they're called their tassels, their tetsies. These, these remind them of the law, but they would make great long tassels, dragging them around, showing how holy and law-keeping they are. They were just on show and parade. They love the best places at the feast. Give me the front of the line. The best seats in the synagogues. Greetings in the marketplace so they can be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Oh, you are so great and wonderful, you Pharisees. You just are, look so terrific. Rabbi, names. Dead religion is on display. Jesus addressed these guys early on in his ministry. I don't know if you remember, but in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, let your charitable deeds be done in secret 
so that you're rewarded by your Father in heaven. These guys did their charitable deeds to be seen by men. Did you see what I did? I gave to the building program. By the way, here's the check. Here's the check right here. Look at it. Look at it. Praise God. Here's the check. Here. Yeah. Glory goes to them. Glory goes. To, and then he, then he talks about prayer. Now, he's not condemning public prayer here, but the Pharisees prayed ostentatiously in front of everyone to get all the attention so that people would say, look how holy that person is. And Jesus says, do not pray in vain repetitions as the heathen. Now, he says that right to these guys, the people in earshot of these guys, like the heathen over here, but go into your closet, pray in secret. Again, it doesn't mean you aren't to pray in a public setting, but you have to make a big performance out of it. Big performance out of it. That's what they were doing. The Pharisees wanted the attention. All eyes on me syndrome. Now, tell me that we don't have a problem with that in our culture. The way people dress. In sports, somebody does something great, all eyes on me. All I look, boom, boom, I'm great, you know, and terrific. They dressed in religious garb to impress the people. It was all for show. The most brazen dress was their phylacteries. Word we're not familiar with. Their leather boxes containing scripture, and they put them on their foreheads, and it was that their word would be close to their brains, okay, close to their thinking. Now, some of these guys had phylacteries, and I was doing the research on this, that were so large, they had a hard time holding their head up. So they have to, here's my phylactery. It's, look how holy I am. That's the type of thing that they were doing, to be noticed. Huge. Now, I have a couple pictures here about their brazen dress. These things around the arm here are called tephilias. They're wrapped seven times around your arm, and it gives the, the seven, uh, seven somethings to God, which I already forgot. But anyway, they represent something for God. And this is how they dressed. They looked just beautiful and terrific, and the more puffed up and flowery they were, that's how they dressed. These are the phylacteries. The next picture, I'll show you a, a today picture. Now, there's, this is the Word of God, and they have a, an honor for the Word of God. And these guys are, are, are praying and doing their thing. And they have these things wrapped in their arms. And actually, I've written this here, what these things are in the arm. Uh, it's the, it's, uh, oh, what's it? I can't read my writing. So, <laughs> anyway, they have some sort of meeting that I can't remember. Now, they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. They crave titles. And I don't know if you remember in the book of Revelation. Well, I was going to give you a test. Book of Revelations. Yeah, there you go. It's singular revelation. I tell your Bible student then. But anyway, the Nicolaitans. Nico means rule and Laetans rule over the laity. The church of Ephesus was commended because they, did not, they disdained the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This clergy hierarchy ruling over the laity. Now, the church at Pergamos... They were all into this. That's when you started to get into the Catholic faith and you had the priesthood and everybody being elevated above the laity. Jesus was very much against this, very much against it. People would go around. They'd crave their titles. I'm a rabbi. I'm important. I'm superior to all of you, so listen to me. That's what they're saying. Jesus hated this display of self-importance. He disdained it. He hated this thing of self-importance. Now, I want you to think about something. How does this play out today? Now, tell me if this doesn't happen. 
People love their titles. I'm Pastor so-and-so. Okay, that's cool. I'm Reverend so-and-so. I'm Pastor Teacher Reverend so-and-so. I'm Pastor Teacher Reverend Elder so-and-so. I'm Pastor Teacher Elder Reverend Apostle so-and-so. I'm Pastor Teacher Elder Reverend Apostle Prophet so-and-so. And then the crescendo. When you get a lot of education, then you can add this one. I am pastor, teacher, elder, reverend, apostle, prophet, doctor, so-and-so. And look at me, how great I am. I'm important. Have you ever seen a license plate that says minister? Have you ever gone to a church and seen the pastor's picture on the wall? I have a question for you. Now, the pastor has one role. He's the pastor, teacher of a church. He's not supreme in the church. Who's supreme in the church? Oh, thank you. Let, let, let's, let's all be in unity with this. Let's all say this together. Who is supreme in the church? Jesus is supreme. That is correct. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we adore. He is the one that we idolize. And I have a question for those people that put the pastor's picture up here. What about this real hero? You want to put a picture up? The 25-year nursery worker lady that has been in there, you slam her on the wall, and then we can give her high fives every time we go by the picture, you know, I mean, boom, like you're going through the tunnel at the Notre Dame, touching something, you know. That's the one that deserves the title. How about the person that cleans the toilets? Throw that guy up there. Or does the yard. The one I really want to put up there is the snow plowers in the middle of the winter. Those guys coming out. Throw their picture up there. You don't idolize anybody, folks. Jesus only is to be extolled. It's to come up on the screen. Let it ramp out here. Jesus only is to be extolled in the body of Christ. It is Christ's church. He is the head. Everyone else is under him. All in the body of Christ are important. Everyone, all have a role. All have a purpose. Everyone in this church that is born again of the Spirit has been given a spiritual gift to use within the body of Christ to edify, to lift up the body of Christ. What is a spiritual gift? There are divine endowments given by the Holy Spirit to build up the body of Christ. Everyone has one, and we are to work in the, in the gifting that God has given us. Do you know, oftentimes people feel like they're the only ones doing the, doing the work. And that can cause a little consternation in the human being. And your flesh starts to rise up and you get a little resentful and get a little bit of a pity party going for yourself. Do you know that 20% of or less do the work of the church? I think it's more here. I think more people here have a, have a part in ministry than the, than the normal church. Jealousy, feeling unappreciated, under, undervalued, can come into anybody that is overworked overworked. Satan is an expert at stirring it up. Don't fall for his schemes. He'll get you to thinking, why am I the only one? And if you've been in this any type of period of time, you felt that. I can, I can just about guarantee, if you didn't feel that, come and talk to me afterwards. Because then I'll put you, I won't put you, but God will put you in a position where you will feel that. When you feel undervalued, taken advantage of, Think of Jesus. The, but the culture at his time extolled him and then undervalued him. They took advantage of him. 
I want you also to think of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet used by God. He confronted 450 Baal worshipers. They were all saying, Baal is supreme. And Elijah says, oh, no, there's one God. And they had this face-off. And the Baal guys lost. They end up getting killed, 450 to 1, and God shows himself supreme. There's a great victory on Mount Carmel. And then Jezebel, Ahab's wife, threatens the life of Elijah. And he runs away, and he has a pity party, really lamenting his situation. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 14, the slide will come up. He says these words to God. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And you can almost hear his lip quivering. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He wasn't like this for the 450 that wanted his hide. God does not revere a pouting, poor me spirit. Now, if you have your handouts, you know what's coming next. This is what a pouting spirit looks like. There should be another picture of a pouting spirit coming right up here. <laughs> you can't miss this. This is worth waiting for right here, right there. I thought that was great. This is how we look to God. When we're going, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left. And we have this pouting look, this pouting look. Now, let me suggest you something. This is not a Holy Spirit-filled, overflowing look. <laughs> this is a flesh look. And if we're to be honest, you've probably had this look. You've probably had it. It can happen to us. What, do we, what, what we do is not for the applause of men. What we do is for the glory of God. I want to please God. And again, ministry is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. When you feel like you're the only one doing it, join the club. You have a whole bunch of people. You know, Elijah, God told Elijah, I have reserved for myself, Elijah, 7,000 that have not bent the knee to Baal. You are not the only one, and neither are we when we feel like we're the only one. But let's get real here. Let's have just a moment of reality check. Everyone needs to feel appreciated. Everyone. It's a universal thing with humanity. Everyone needs to feel valued. We all need to be encouraged from time to time. Believe me, a great pat on the back goes a long way. We are teammates in this thing together. So, folks, encourage one another. Anybody can get down. Encourage one another as we're going forward with this thing. We're all weary soldiers. So encouraging one another to keep going. Remember, like the geese. Coo, coo, coo. <laughs> honking, honk, honk, honk. Anyway, flying and leading. Encouraging the others to keep up. Yes. So verses 8 through 10. Disciples of Christ, this is what we need to do. Not eyes on what we're doing, but all eyes on Jesus. Really, that's what disciples of Christ do. All eyes on Jesus. Verses 8 through 10. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren, do not call one another on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. Now, he's saying here, don't use these titles. 
in, in Scripture, we know that there's teachers and there's pastors and there's elders and there's positions, but don't let them go to your head. You just have a spot within the church. You have a position that you are filling at that time. He's telling these people not to strive for titles. So again, Jesus tells his disciples, don't strive for a title. That gives you recognition and prestige. Only Jesus is to be extolled. So what is Jesus doing here? He is condemning the pride that seeks titles. That's what he is doing, condemning the pride that seeks titles. Look, your title is simply an identifier of what you are doing within the body. It doesn't elevate you. You should never, ever, ever elevate me above anybody else in this body. You should listen to me as long as I'm teaching the word. You are to, you are to obey your elders as long as they are leading you in the way of the word. But there's no elevation here. I'm not better than anybody else. So that is an important concept to remember. An important concept to remember. He's, these are identifiers. What did Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, I did not come to be, to, to be served, but to serve and give myself a ransom for many. I did not come to be served. He will be served in the kingdom. He will be served. But he came here as a bondservant of his father. And that is the, that is the message that we are to be bondservants, slaves of our God. Verse 11 and 12, disciples of Christ Learn this lesson. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Verse 11 and 12. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see the himself in there? It's important that you realize who you are and who God is. So get the order, get the order straight. It's going to be really important. So greatness in the eyes of God is not about titles, but obedience and service. I want you to think about something. Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Weeks before the, before the crucifixion, the last week, he's getting ready to die. And James and John come to him and say, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom. They're seeking position and power and that sort of thing. Grant us, in Mark 10, 37, that we may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your glory. Now again, three plus years they have been with Jesus. Three plus years they've been with the best teacher in the history of foreverdom. And they're still in the self-promotion. And you know what that caused within the group? They all got mad at them. They were all ticked off. You know what Jesus did? He gathered all these angry disciples together that wanted to beat the snot out of James and John. Make no mistake, there's some emotion going on here. These guys are promoting themselves. They didn't like it at all. Peter in particular, I don't mention Peter here, but imagine he's ready to have their scalp. But he says to them, gather around here, and he kneels down, and he washes their feet. The most menial slave in the family the lowest of the lowest rung of slaves would wash the feet of those coming into the family. And I want to suggest to you this also. We are all influenced by the world. We are. We might think we aren't, but we act like, smell like, 
the world. We're immersed here, folks. We're polluted. Remember that. Nobody's walking this thing perfect. Even if we don't think so, we have been tainted to some degree. And listen to this one. Greatness in this world has always been about a push to the top. A push to the top. Stampede over others. Pull them down so I can promote myself. And we have a picture here depicting this. I mean, isn't this the way? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Well, I thought I was the greatest down here. Where am I at? I, I missed the ladder. But, you know, this, this, this is not the Jesus way. This is not the Jesus way. Jesus, Chris has this flying right in. This is not the Jesus way. What is the Jesus way? What's well, going to be the ladder? The ladder of faith. That's the next one. This is in 1 Peter. Next slide. Yeah, there you go, the Jesus way. That had to come in there. Yes. 2 Peter verses 1, chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. Pursuing all diligence, add faith. To faith, add goodness. To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, first perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And folks, the top of this rung is love. That is the top. We are to start, we are to climb this ladder. This is what the whole sanctification process is about. It peaks out with love. You know you're growing when you start to love the unlovable. That's like your neighbors, your neighbors. So, next thing that's going to come up is a little bit written wrongly, so I will correct it right now. Christian, well, let me see what it is. What's the next, next slide? Christians must resist, okay, that's it. Christians must resist the urge of self-promotion. I should have put that in there. It's not about self-promotion, but about God-promotion. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says this, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. Now, again, let's have a little time for balance here. There's a thing called healthy ambition, to work hard. Now, this should be a slide. Does it come up? Is it there? Healthy, okay, good, good. I want to make sure it's there. To work hard, get ahead, to enjoy the fruit, the product of your labor. Ecclesiastes 5, 19, and 20 well, says this perfectly. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, take a hard stop right there. God is not a prude. God does that. He's not trying to withhold from you. He gives to you wealth and possessions. He gives to his people. God takes care of his people and the ability to enjoy them. So you can be a billionaire, have all the yachts in the world and have a miserable life. But God gives you the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil or their work. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on their days. Take a hard stop. Everybody says that, you know, men are going to have a midlife crisis. Everybody goes through one. No, they don't. No, they don't. You don't have to go buy the Corvette, and you don't have to get the rings and the chains and the ear piercings and all the stuff to look like you're 18 again when you're 60. or fit. Well, it usually happens when you're 45 or so. But anyway, you don't have to do that. You can be content where God has put you and, and know that your life has been of value. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Isn't that a treasure? Gladness of heart. 
No midlife crisis. Now, I'm going to say, make a few statements here that do not come up on the screen. So please hear this. Having initiative, drive, ambition are healthy qualities if done for the right reason. If these are done for power, control, prestige, to be noticed by people, for, for your wrongful ambitions, then it's wrong. If these quests are done for a better lifestyle, there's nothing wrong with, with striving to have a better lifestyle, to serve your family, to serve the organization that you are connected with, you're representing Christ where you work, to represent God with excellence, then the ambition, I believe, would be proper. We are instructed in Scripture. Now, this is important. This will come up. We are instructed in Scripture to have ambition and to work hard. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 in the 1984 NIV says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. And listen to this statement. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's not your boss. It's not anybody else in charge. It is the Lord Christ you are serving wherever you're working. We have a mandate from Jesus to be the best that we can be wherever God has placed us. And I would say this, there is no room for mediocrity, for skating around the edges, for sliding and gliding in the workplace. Folks, I've been there. I know what happens. People are doing as much as they can to get out of as much as they can. We are to work with excellence, Jesus' way is we serve others, sacrifice, and work hard. And, and do this. Allow Jesus to exalt you. 1 Peter 4, 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Let Jesus exalt you. Work hard with excellence. Have a great attitude and allow God to promote you. And by all means, this is an attitude. You concentrate on that attitude. Be a fountain, not a drain. Wherever you are, pour out instead of sucking life. Very important. Some closing thoughts. This won't take long. Every word commentary says this. One thing that can be said of the Christian faith is this. Christian faith is the faith of oneness. We're in this together for God, all for one. There is no room for pride or divisiveness, neither for the love of position, honor, or title, end quote. Good word. Dead religion is a religion that is in it for the show. Self-promotion. I call this glory stealing. Do not steal the glory. You know who tried to steal the glory? King Agrippa, in Acts chapter 12, he, tried, he walks into town, he gives this great oration, and the crowd starts crying out, he's a god, he's a god. And an angel came and struck King Agrippa, and he was eaten with worms from the inside out. And Josephus says, the Jewish historian, it took five days for the worms to eat it their way through as this man died an agonizing death. Do not steal the glory from God. It's an honor to serve God. It's a privilege to serve God. Heaven, folks, will be all about serving God. 
It'll be all about it. While we are here, mediocrity, no way. Mediocrity, no way. Be all out for God. Obey God. Serve God. Worship God. And by the way, in spirit and in truth, as God really is depicted in Scripture, not how you make him up in your mind. And have a great attitude. You know, when you really have given yourself to the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit will start to pop out of you. He will produce in you fruit. You don't produce it. It's a natural outcome. And before you know it, you're going to start having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. Be all out for God. Obey God, serve God, worship God, and spirit and truth have a great attitude. As Oswald Chambers puts it, my utmost for his highest, my greatest for his glory. And I will suggest to you, you do that, that'll separate you from the herd. That'll separate you from the herd. People will notice that you're different. Disciples of Christ, let me say this loud and clear. Determine, dare to be different than this world. Dare to be different than this world. This glorifies God. Amen. So, let me say this. It is warm in here. I don't feel one drop of air conditioning coming through here. But you guys did pretty good staying with me. It's not easy. I mean, the heat's up. I mean, I'm falling asleep, and I'm up here talking. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. Thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you that he's teaching us what disciples of Christ should be like. We are here to serve you, to honor you, to glorify your name. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We're too depraved. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this. When I start to get in a situation where my lip is sticking out and I feel all offended and all discouraged, help me to remember you. Help me to remember what you went through and help me to continue to press on. And Lord, when we see somebody that's in that condition, let's buddy up with them, give them a great big hug and encourage them to go farther, to not quit and give up. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.